I'd like to invite you to stand with me in honor of the Word of God. And right before I read it, we're going to say a prayer together uh, as we prepare our hearts to hear the Word and to meditate upon it. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading from verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we, have, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, this morning I thank you for the wonderful privilege, <laughs> uh, the wonderful joy of standing before your people. Thank you. Thank you that I am able to stand as pastor in this community of faith, something I do not take for granted. And this morning, as has already been prayed by many of us, that your Holy Spirit would do what no pastor can do, and that your Holy Spirit would bring truth to bear in ways that only you can, I do now commit myself to that end, that your word would bring life and hope. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Over the last several weeks, we have started a series of sermons entitled, This Is Us. And um, it is a series that is focused on what it means to be the church. I suggested to all of you a few weeks ago that sometimes we need to be reminded of what the church is supposed to be because sometimes we are tempted to make it about what it ought not to be. And so I began our series as a means of just review real quick, speaking on the theme of us being the gifted ones, ones that God has given what we need to live the Christian life. I said to you in that opening sermon, uh, you remember that? It was so good. I mean, it was just, whew, this is a tough crowd here this morning, <laughs> especially on the right side. I, I said to you in that first sermon how important it is that we as a church not operate out of this deficient view of what it means to be Christian. In other words, the starting point of the Christian life is this, that in Christ God has left nothing undone for us to be who God has called us to be. Thanks be to God. And so when we look at the world and we look at the consistent narrative that says this, we need more, we say no, we've been given all we need. <laughs> 
And as a part of what God gifts us, and Pastor Ryan did such a great job, uh, we, we listened to the kids' feedback on his sermon. They were listening to his sermon. They said, Pastor, Pastor Ryan does not like teamwork. Uh, that was one of the points they picked up. But as a part of the greater picture of what Ryan, Pastor Ryan was preaching, he was preaching about if God gives us all we need, then we should use the gifts of the community of faith. Therefore, one of our needs that God has already provided for is the Christian church. That our Christian faith then is not just an individualistic endeavor about me, but that we actually should depend upon one another in significant ways in order to live out the faith that God has made possible. I think that is a critical message. I think that in the West, we, we kind of have this idea that it's me and Jesus, and we got to figure it all out. I, I want to say to you that from the inception of the church in the book of Acts, there is the sense that God wants to do something incredible in the life of not just one, but in the life of not of the, just the Jew, but in the life of the Gentile, that God through Christ wants to do an incredible work in all of the world. And he desires to do that not through just me or just through you, but through us. That in other words, your health, your contribution, your gifts matter not only to you, but it matters to me. To be a part of a community of faith is to recognize that I'm here to be a blessing as well as to be blessed. To be a part of this community, recognize this, that God needs you to be the gifted one amongst us so that your gifts can be used as a gift to others. And together, can I say this, we are better than just on our own. Do you believe that? And then uh, Pastor Jacob, where is he? Is he here or is he playing hooky? He's downstairs? Oh, good. I don't want to call him out and he's really not here. <laughs> pastor Jacob, he's learning. Uh, he's at Ambrose becoming a pastor and we are developing him here at Skyview. He preached on this idea that the church is a community of love. That in fact, without love, all of our spiritual gifts and abilities can become things that become an end unto themselves. Or as the Apostle Paul says in that wonderful love chapter, they become empty things. We can, we can, we can make a big deal about things that ultimately without the love of Christ in us, through us, with us as a community, can in fact become destructive, which is the narrative of, of the Corinthian church. That when the love of Christ is absent, even that which we think we have in our minds and in our practices that are good can lack the very thing that makes it uh, glorifying to God. And then I preached last week on what it means to be saved. I suggested to us that to be saved is to be people overwhelmed by the grace of God. Amen. <laughs> I said to you that not only are we saved, not on account of our own merit and what we've done, but I've said this to you, that grace is getting what you don't deserve. But grace is also this, it changes us. It grows us up. It matures us. It makes us more kind, more patient, more loving, more forgiving. Can this crowd here that I've been hard on say amen? It, it changes us. We are constantly becoming more and more the people that God wants us to be. If you want to know whether this is a good church or any church you attend is a good church, ask yourself as you look back where you've come from and where you find yourself today. And if you can see that this has been a formation, not, 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 not because life has been easy, 
Not because you've gone, not gone through difficult things, but as you have gone through those things, you've allowed God through his spirit and his, through his word to form in you deeper capacities for love and mercy and grace. You know, the world is tired of religious people who say things that are not true of who they are. Can I get an amen? The world needs a Christian who is becoming more and more the person God wants them to be. Hence the fact that in our community, we may all be at different places. And it makes it hard in the church sometimes to deal with people at different places. We all tend to operate out of this principle that everybody should be where I'm at. And we get frustrated when people are not where we think they ought to be. Come on, get on board. Can't you see my life the way it needs to be? I always said I'd be the best pastor if you all could just see the world through my glasses. But he who has begun a good work in me and you is faithful. Oh, he's faithful to bring that work unto completion. So we are a community of grace. And this morning I want to tell you, I want to end this sermon. I'm not ending this series, sorry. Why didn't I use that word? By speaking about us as a people of resurrection. The Apostle Paul, in this particular text, is speaking to a group of individuals influencing the church and denying that, in fact, the resurrection of the dead is true. In the words of one of the Bible scholars I studied, Gordon Fee, I want to quote him. He says this, to deny Christ's resurrection is tantamount to denial of Christian existence altogether. Let me translate what Gordon is saying, I think. That to be Christian is to believe in the resurrection of Christ. It is to be a people who believe in faith that death does not win. It did not win when Christ was crucified, and it will not win when we die. That in fact, Paul is addressing not some trivial idea of theology. He's saying that one of the foundations of the good news is that you and I believe this, as the Corinthians needed to believe it, that Christ has overcome death, and because he did, so will we. You know why that truth doesn't get more amens, and you're getting better on this side? It's because you can be a good moral person without believing in the resurrection. That you can be a good person without believing in the resurrection. In fact, I, I want to be very straightforward. I think that many Christians today can live their lives based on the good moral teachings of Jesus, accepting that that's about as good as it gets for us. But no, Paul would have us know that if we lose the belief in the resurrection of the dead brought about by Jesus Christ himself, we lose not only the hope of eternal life, but we lose the power of that resurrection in our present life. Let me put it differently. If we do not believe that we are a people who will be taken up one day in this resurrection power that raised Christ, it changes how we live today. So let me put it to you in a way that I think makes sense to me. If there is no resurrection, two things happen in culture. The first is, we are prone to fatalism. That is the acceptance 
that all things and all events are inevitable and we kind of submit ourselves to fate. There is really nothing to live for other than perhaps the moments we have. Those who live without resurrection hope put an intensity upon the present life in such ways that when things go wrong, it is hard to hold together because this is in fact all there is. People who are fatalistic in their thinking, they will do things in ways that would surprise us because for them, there is no real purpose or meaning to life itself. A second thing that happens when we do not look at life through the resurrection lens is that we are prone to hedonism, which is the belief that pleasure or happiness is the highest good. This is, if this life is all that there is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And let's get the biggest cause, let's have the greatest fun, let's do the most we can, because this life is, in an effect, all there is. But with resurrection, we are able to live faithfully in a world that is often hard to live in as agents of hope and life. Practicing the kind of faith that enables ourselves and others to have hope, not only for when we die, but in our present life. Listen, folks, that was very good preaching, even though I'm reading my notes. <laughs> the resurrection is essential to our present way of life. Yes, it is important, not only for one day when I die, but indeed for how I live today. It's approximately 20 years since Jesus was crucified and when we hear the words of Corinthians. Some influential people within the church in Corinth is questioning the validity of believing in the resurrection of the dead. I heard a little social media clip come across my Facebook page I'm open to being friends with anyone on Facebook. I do not discriminate. <laughs> Search me up. How do you say that? Make me your friend, does that sound good? <laughs> my wife always says to me, you can't just say yes to everybody. Not everybody's legitimately a real person or like who they say they are. And I said, well, it's on them then, isn't it? <laughs> but I'm going to have 10,000 friends by the time I die. 10,000 friends on Facebook. Don't be jealous, don't be jealous. A little clip came across my Facebook page that uh, uh, the preacher was quite emphatic, quite excited about the fact that many had tried to disprove the resurrection and have in the process of both academically trying to do so become quite convinced of its validity. I do not think, I do not think that Paul is really trying to be argumentative in making a case for the resurrection, but. Rather, he's teaching us what it means to live as those who believe that there's more to this life. You see, I, I think Paul is saying that if you only think of this life and that Christ has only relevance for a moral teacher, then we are of most people to be pitied. In fact, I like how Eugene Peterson, this is my year of tribute to this great man that has influenced so many pastors and who have done this wonderful job of paraphrasing the Bible. He puts uh, the, the, the scripture in verse 19 this way. He says, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a short few years, we're a pretty sorry lot. 
The implications of not believing this, and I will get to my main point in just a moment. If there's no resurrection for anyone, then this is all there is. If there's no resurrection in your understanding of what it means to be a Christian, then to be a Christian at best is to follow a moral code. And by the way, there's good moral codes to follow. Uh, Can I say this very blatantly to you? There are other faith groups who also are very good moral people. If to be Christian is simply to be nice in this world, then we can live without the hope of resurrection because Jesus then could have died on the cross, stayed in the grave, and he would just become for us, like many other religious groups, a good example to be followed. And when we live this way, we neglect the great hope of the resurrection. But more importantly, and listen to this, if there's no resurrection, then still, still sin still owns us. If there's no resurrection, there's no power to live free from the things that brings ultimate death. But with the resurrection... Not even sin has power over us, thanks be to God. Therefore, in this church, we are a people of grace. We are a people of grace because we believe in resurrection power. We are a people that believes that if you're honest about where you are, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But get this, he is also by his very resurrection power able to raise you up to live a life of hope and a life that makes a difference for the kingdom. But I do not want to end. This is a simple message this morning. I remember speaking at a conference a few years ago um, somewhere on the east coast of the US and, and after one of the sermons, uh, uh, one of my good friends came up to me and he was mentoring this other guy and he said to the guy, he said to the guy, see, he was so simple. He didn't say anything provocative. He was just saying what's in the scripture. And I remember saying to myself, you know, I was fairly insecure then. Did I not say something complex? (laughs) Did I not impress? But I've come to realize there's a gift in simplicity if the simplicity comes from the word of God. So I wanna be simplistic, can I do that? But here's here's the challenge with simplicity. We must listen careful to what it demands of us. And so here's where I wanna end. And uh, some of you are are probably gonna chuckle, but I'm gonna play the guitar and I'm gonna sing for you today. Now some of you are already feeling nervous. He's saying, Pastor Stu has lost it, friends. Does he not know we've hired him to preach and not to sing? But this morning, I'm going to sing for you the conclusion to my message. And all God's people says, let it be good, Lord. Let it be good. <laughs> I have to find, oh, there we go. You see, I think what Paul is saying can be best summed up in a song that Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote in 1971. I would like to say that I was born, I was close to being born, but I wasn't quite born then. Some of you know when I say Bill and Gloria Gaither who I'm talking about. Some of you don't? Okay, that's okay. Where's the capo? I'll take it off my guitar. Thanks, Bob, for making this even more awkward for me. Uh, they, they wrote the song, I did a little bit of study. Uh, the, the, the song, uh, the, you know, you can do a song story search, how the song came to be. And this is what they wrote about their song story. They said, in 1971, it looked like the world was falling apart in the United States. And we just had a baby. 
And I thought to myself, isn't it funny that almost in every decade we feel that way, don't we? The world's falling apart. And they said that as they had the baby, which I think is just so fitting today that we had a baby dedication, they, 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 they went to write because that's what they do. And they wrote the song that become a staple of me growing up. I heard the song all the time. Who here by just raising your hand and you will date yourself by doing this, remembers the song Because He Lives. Who remembers it? Now, not all old songs have good theology, by the way. You say amen. There's some hymns we need to leave in the past. But this one does more for this message than I could put in my own words. So I am stepping out on the ledge, making myself very vulnerable before you, but also showcasing, hopefully, the great hope we have. God sent His Son They called Him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive He lived and died To buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is <laughs> well, I, I, I'll take your applause, although I know you're being kind. I'll take it. <laughs> Let me say this to you. Let me say this to you. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. <laughs> because he lives, no matter how bleak life gets, no matter the cancers, no matter the illness, no matter the brokenness, no matter the pain, no matter the suffering, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how life tries to squeal out every inch of hope in us, because he lives, brother, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, 
We have a hope that does not dismiss the reality of a broken world, but holds us in the grace of God in the hardest of times. Listen, over the years as being a pastor, when I've been with people in their, uh, on their last moments, people of faith, I have seen some of the sweetest uh, you know, moments of grace that I've ever tasted, for there is something that is proven true only when life has given us its worth, and that is this, that we can die with as ones who have hope because not even death will hold us down. Let me say this to you. You're going to need a resurrection theology when life goes wrong. You're going to need a resurrection theology when you have no power and you no control. You're going to need a resurrection theology when things become harder than you can bear. For in Christ we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. Listen, we can face tomorrow because he lives. Hear this, hear this. My voice cracked. I, I, I feel like you didn't hear my great falsetto ability in the singing. But I want to say this. Not only can we live because, you know, we can face tomorrow because he lives, but we can face tomorrow without fear. You know, the defining characteristic of the evangelical church in the West, to me, is that of fear. You know what fear does? Fear makes us incapable to speak hope in times of trouble. You know what fear does? Fear holds us back from reaching out and being there when people are in desperate and challenging situations. You know what fear does? Fear keeps us back from being the hope the world needs. Let me be very clear. There's many things that we can fear as the church. When things happen to my children, parents, hmm, don't do things to my children. When, when, when things in life touch us personally, there, there, there is many things that can make us feel insecure, but but let us find courage today to believe that because Christ has overcome Satan, amen, Christ has overcome sin, and Christ has overcome death, that I can place the care of my children in the hands of the one who can hold them better than I can. Amen. Listen to these words. How sweet to hold a newborn baby. Did, did, you, hear, did you hear the Gaithers on this? Let, let me find my notes. Uh, maybe there's some of you that are Gaither fans, and you can quote this off by heart, but I'm revealing I'm not as attuned to all the lyrics. I, I think it goes something like this. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and, and see the joy and love. Can we use she because little Lottie was dedicated today? She brings. Uh, but greater still... Is it the deep or the calm assurance? Doesn't matter, both works. This child can face uncertain days, why? <laughs> because Stu lives, no. <laughs> because Stu has all the right parenting techniques, no. Because Stu wants to bubble wrap all his kids and make sure nothing bad happens to them, no. Because Stu wants to make sure that, that they make all the wisest decisions in the world that he can muster up for them to make, no. They can face uncertain days because he lives. 
Listen, my friends, if you're living a life of fear, let me say this to you, fear may be natural for us as human beings, each and every one of us, but when we believe that Christ has overcome Satan, sin, and death, we can face our tomorrows. We can live as those who believe that no matter what we face, God is faithful. He is able, and not even death can hold us down, but because he lives... I know he holds the future. And hear this, and life is worth the living. Do you believe that? You know, here's how I grew up. I grew up catching this theology from the church, and with this I close, and all God's people say amen. I call this theology that Jesus is only interested one day when I die. Listen, <laughs> some of you didn't catch that theology. That's good. In fact, I, I caught this idea that, that, that to be Christian is only to be concerned about what happens one day, which, you know what it does? It, it kind of gets you off the hook for being responsible today. I'm in. I'm on that eternal plane destined for eternity. Buckle me in and hopefully nothing goes wrong. But Jesus speaks to us in such a profound way as a church when he says this to you, that resurrection also changes the trajectory of our lives today. That resurrection hope also teaches us that we can live the kind of life that is abundant and full and full of hope and we can give away and we can give away and not fear that we won't have enough because Christ is sufficient for us. Listen, when you have resurrection hope, you learn that in dying you will live. You learn that in giving you will be blessed. You learn that there is nothing that you will give up in this present world that it all pales in comparison to that which is promised. When resurrection hope consumes the Christian church like it should hours, we can live the abundant life now. So I ask the church, how are we defined? By our fears or by our Savior? How are we defined? That we are afraid that we are losing control or are we leaning deeper yet to the word of promise that says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Perhaps there's an invitation today to some of us to put our fears on the altar, so to speak. And here's what I found, the older I get, is that I have to learn to put those fears down almost every day. You know, sometimes I wish Jesus worked this way. God, I have a problem, a weakness. Just fix it right now. He fixes it, and boom, it's gone. But it seems to me I'm having to learn to live dependently almost every day on his grace for some reason. But maybe I'm the only one. Maybe you've got the one-shot fix-all. And it seems like God invites me every day to put my fears, the cares that holds me back, but more significantly, not just the fears and the cares, but I pray that God would so overwhelm me with his grace that the life I live is lived in the power of the resurrection with hope and with grace. That friends, that I would have the courage to go where God calls me to go. Perhaps the biggest hold back to not believing the resurrection is we become afraid of where God may lead us. And some of us, 
this morning is to hold firm to that old song. Bob, would you come? And they're going to sing it in a different style than I did, because I don't quite know what style I had going there. But. And I wonder if this could be our response. I wonder, too, if maybe this morning in the way in which I try to bring about this truth, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Maybe there's an opportunity for prayer at the altar. We, people just do that, and that's wonderful in our church. But maybe there's an opportunity to make these words our prayer, our statement of faith. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living because he lives.